Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please also go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information about our work. Feel free to leave a comment there on our contact form, or you can email me directly at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. Well, I, I have to tell you that it is my pleasure to tell you that I have a very special guest coming up next week. This week, we're going to talk about Romans 8. We're continuing to survey Romans rather lightly, but but the beautiful truth here, I hope, is uh, coming across in these really important episodes. They have this information, this material, this book, this Paul's epistle to the church at Rome has been a life changer for me over several decades now. And uh, I, I was wondering and confused and doubting and experiencing fears and living with a sinful perspective. And some of these truths have, have God used them to change my life, uh, to, to say it plainly. And that's how scripture works. But this, the beauty of uh, Romans in particular just uh, jumps out at me. But Next week, so we're going to have our own date today, and then next week I have a special guest. Her name is Sharla Elton. Sharla is the head of a school. I think her title is superintendent of a school in Canton, Ohio. And I'm not going to tell you much more about her than that for right now. I'm going to tell you that that school serves an underserved community a primarily minority community in Canton, Ohio. Most of you know Canton, Ohio is the place where the Pro Football Hall of Fame resides. It's actually the it's actually the downtown area is is the site of the first NFL game ever played, I believe, if if my memory serves. And it's kind of a special place, but that part of Ohio, and, and, and this is true a lot of, of a lot of sections in that state and many states, but that part of Ohio in particular has an opioid problem, a serious opioid problem, a serious drug problem, a serious poverty problem. There are factories there that have been closed for years or underutilized for years. Employment is an issue. Crime is an issue. And yet there's this school in the middle of it all that God is blessing and working through. And it's just, it's just incredible. And they, they have experienced a series of events in recent weeks that Charlotte is going to come on and talk about. And your mind is going to be blown when you hear this. This is, it's one of those stories where if somebody called me and told me this story and I didn't know the players and didn't know the facts, I would say there's no way that happened. And, and, it, and it, it's not just one thing that I would say that about. It is a series of events, and you're going to walk away having been incredibly blessed to get to know Charlotte and her school. They have several hundred students. They serve this community incredibly well. They sacrifice. She's going to talk about some of the stories, some of the individuals, and some of the big picture changes that have occurred because of God's intervention in a situation that could have really gone the wrong way. It really should, this story, make national news because it's that spectacular. It won't because... Well, for a bunch of reasons, and we'll talk about those next week, but we just say we care about children and education, and most of our politicians, sadly, don't really, I mean, they might care individually, but they, they, they really don't spend their resources, their attention, their time on young people who don't vote, and uh, that's just 
sad. It's pathetic. But anyway, this is a, it is an amazing feel good story. It is a, just a genuine good story about a series of events that you won't believe. So I hope you'll come back and listen to um, that episode next week. It'll be released on Monday morning, very early in the morning. Well, today we're we're in Romans 8, and thank you for staying with us. I, I know for some people this is not as interesting as bringing in special guests and talking about uh, timely topics, maybe even talking about the economy, which I'm going to do very soon. I've had several of you request that I talk about in this crazy economy, talk about gas prices, uh, where inflation is going, what the Federal Reserve is doing. We're in a we're in a completely different environment now than we were in a year ago, and we'll talk about that. We will definitely talk about it uh, coming up in several weeks. But today, I have the pleasure of talking about Romans eight with you. I'm going to read it, and as is often my pattern, I'm going to read it and just kind of comment as we go through it. There is no way to exegete to to pull apart, to get out of Romans 8 in a podcast episode, a single podcast episode, all of the beauty of this book of the Bible. I would encourage you to read it for yourself. And again, I know I say this again and again, but read it, read this chapter every day for a week. Just do that. And if you have access to blueletterbible.org, the website or their app, or one like it, take a look at some of the Greek words and see what they mean. If you have access to a good commentary, one that I would recommend on Romans that I believe is used by John MacArthur's Master's Academy is, uh, there there are a couple that they use, and I I should be real specific here, because if you get the other one, you're going to think, oh my goodness, it's so tedious, it's three inches thick, and it'll take you forever to read it. There's a simpler one, and it's not simple, but it's but it's much more straightforward. It's written by a guy. Uh, it's actually written by several people, but but I'm, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna give you one name so you can find it. It's written by a guy named uh, Wood Woodrow Kroll K R O L L, and it's uh, the Book of Romans, Righteousness in Christ. So that's kind of a study tool that I I would encourage you to. Um, to pick up, it's, uh, I don't know how many pages it has. It's a uh, couple hundred, maybe, maybe more than that. Uh, yeah, 250 pages or so. I would encourage you to, uh, if you'd like to really dive into the depths of Romans, um, uh, grab a copy of that. But you can you can read this information for yourself. I've made it kind of a, for a couple of decades now, uh, a book that I study all the time and uh, read a lot. Uh, I read other parts of the Bible. I try to read through a couple of Old Testament books and the entire New Testament maybe once a year. I don't do the read through the Bible every year like some of you do. I try to go a little slower and try to absorb the beauty of the truth here. So if your pattern is to read the Bible haphazardly, I would suggest you develop a pattern and a great way to start would be just take Romans eight and read it, read that chapter. It's not long and and read it, read it every day for six or seven days. And you'll just be amazed. I am a colon cancer survivor. And I will tell you that uh, upon being diagnosed 18 years ago, uh, when I was technically too young to have that awful disease, I didn't know where to turn. Um, I knew to turn to God and and I knew to pray and trust him. And I turned to my pastors and friends and family and my wife and daughter and, and all of that. But in terms of scripture, I didn't really know where to go. I was, it, it was, if you've, if you've ever experienced a crisis like that, it's just so overwhelming. I mean, overwhelming isn't even the right word. It It's just, it just feels like you're you've been buried alive and under just a, a, an insurmountable amount of dirt and it's hard to get across the the angst uh, that one experiences 
with with a diagnosis like that that comes out of the blue without symptoms and uh it, it was really a difficult time but i i found comfort in romans 8 in in a couple of sections in romans 8 and i'm gonna tell you about that when we get there but also i've told you about uh, the story of our pastor of our current church emmanuel presbyterian church in deland florida it's a pca church our pastor was a guy named mike francis and I've, I've told you his story it was seven years ago on memorial day that i got a text from a friend saying that mike had had a heart attack and might not survive and i thought of several people named mike uh, before i thought of our pastor because my friend had not made it clear that it was our pastor mike and my wife and i quickly went to the hospital and learned that not only had he had a heart attack he had um, also had serious brain injury as a result of the oxygen deprivation associated with that heart attack and and that he might not survive and then months later he uh, it's a it's a long story but he uh he's in a hospital bed uh insurance benefits had had uh, terminated and his wife and several of us at the church w- were helpful to the family in in moving him uh, home and so we rented uh, a hospital bed and he was in their family room in a hospital bed and several people told me that he had talked and began talking and this the, the rest of the story is that he had been in a vegetative state for a long period of time his prognosis was horrible if we listened to the medical people and and just by the numbers the probabilities he he he, he was not going to recover much at all and I remember my daughter had uh, she had so sweet and and had had cleaned their house several times for them, and she called me one day from her cell phone and she said, "Dad, Mike is talking. You got to come down here." So I went down there and I I stood kind of at the foot of his bed, and here's what he said. And by the way, this is the first verse of Romans chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He said, and. I looked at him and he looked at me. He kind of had this faraway look, uh, this unfocused look a little bit during that time. And I said, uh, how did you do that? And because he had not talked and I'm not exaggerating. He had not spoken to me or anyone else that I knew of. His wife, uh, Maria, had said that he he, he had said a few words. Uh, and all of a sudden he says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I said, how'd you do that? And he said, that's an excellent question. That's exactly what he said to me. That's an excellent question. I'm thinking, you know how to use the word excellent in a sentence correctly and you couldn't talk before this? And and he, I said, Mike, I can't believe you're able to do this. And he said, I guess it's because I'm Mike Francis. <laughs> and, and we had a little chuckle and uh, he, he began to develop from there. So this verse, clearly, I, I you know, I, 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 I'd sound like I'm guilty of hyperbole probably in telling that story, and I assure you I'm not, but this verse must have been packed away in his mind, and I, you know, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that God lives in and through Mike Francis and through those of us who know him and uh, who know God and have trusted in Christ, and I believe the Holy Spirit is... is uh, active in our lives and uh i believe that that must be the the, that's the only explanation i can come up with for how mike could go from not talking to quoting this verse and mike still today has uh, short-term memory uh challenges his processor is actually pretty good his reason is 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 actually really good but this verse was in there Uh, let's just say it that way and other verses he's memorized and uh, guide our church. Glenn Hardaway has worked with him on uh, uh, memorizing scripture. He's read lots of scripture, takes lots of notes, prays for people in the congregation. It's really just been an amazing testimony to God's faithfulness in Mike's life and, and in all of our lives. But anyway, Romans 8, 1, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and I, I, I that verse has always been special to me. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that that word condemnation is is not the it's kind of not not the opposite of justification. It doesn't mean just there's 
you know, you're, you're not, you're not, not justified. Uh, you're, you're not justified. Pardon me. It actually has the idea of, of the, the punishment uh, for a crime committed a kind of, kind of this, uh, I guess the way I would say it is uh, the punishment following a sentence is is sort of the the what this what this references this this no condemnation so 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 yes we have been sentenced to death because of our sin but because of the gospel because of justification by faith this beautiful doctrine that Paul has been talking about then any any kind of proves that that's what he's referencing by use of that word therefore and Paul does this at several points in Romans he does these lookbacks for the for the rest of the letter the previous part of the letter and and so he says there's therefore because of this no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and he's already explained that the way we become in Christ Jesus is by faith is simply by trusting in him it there's there's repentance from our sins involved and then turning and trusting in him and 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 he he's already talked about the fact that he's our propitiation. He's our that that really has to do with our, our mercy seat, our our the lid on the ark of the covenant that was covered with blood to atone for sins. This this notion of of uh, propitiation, the appeasement of of uh, God for our sins, and so he's he's making this declaration that because of all this. There is no condemnation. There's no penal phase of the trial for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse two, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He's used this, and it's more than a metaphor, but he's, but he's used this language where he references the law at various times through this epistle to the church at Rome. You know, because we've talked about this, that this church was populated by Gentiles in the majority and a minority of Jewish people, probably 30 or 35% of this church. And, and, and so he talks about the law a lot. He, he helps us understand the purpose of the law, the Mosaic law. And he's already explained to us that Abraham and David, and by inference, all of the people in the old Testament were justified or declared righteous by faith. So he talks about the limitations of the law. He says, he says in verse three here, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So, so certainly not sinful, but in the likeness, he, he, he looked like all the rest of us sinners in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, that's a long sentence, but, but here's what he's saying. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. He conquered sin in the flesh in order that the righteous we, we've said earlier that that word for justify and righteous are very similar. They're part of the same family of Greek words. This word righteous has to do with right standing morally, according to the law, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's a lot we can say there about imputation, this righteousness is imputed to us. That is credited to our account by God. The righteousness of God in the person of Jesus Christ is credited to our account. This wonderful promise that Paul is talking about here is the fact that we are not condemned. We, we do not serve the punishment for our crime, for our sin. And then in verse 5, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Sadly, I spend a lot of my time thinking about things of the flesh, thinking about my own desires, even my, my noble, personal, selfish, carnal desires are in fact sin. And then in verse 6, he says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. 
For the mind that is on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, we already talked in chapter 3 about what that looks like, what our sin actually looks like. But among other things, and I'm going to move on here after this comment, but among other things, I just love the fact that in verse 2 he says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's a fairly good size element in evangelicalism, and certainly in the world writ large, that would say that, well, you know, Christianity is dark, and and it is, and 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 all this talk about sin, and it's just so negative, and it's just depressing, and and then they go through. Often, well-meaning people will say, "Well, you, why would a a God who's benevolent uh, and and omniscient and omnipotent, uh, why, why would a God who who is all powerful, all knowing, and all loving allow X?" And and it really goes back to us thinking very poorly about who God is and who man is and how the two relate, how God relates to man. And we've, we've said that again and again through this series, but I I just think it's beautiful that, that Paul has painted a picture. If you remember back in chapter three with the 14 counts of sin that he's charged us with, and he starts out with, there's none righteous, no, not one. And and he talks about the consequences of all of that. He, he, and, and, in um, Romans six, he talks about the, uh, the fact that the wages of sin is death. And he, and he talks a lot about sin and a lot about death, a lot about judgment, God's righteousness, his, his, the judgment that his righteousness requires, his purity, his holiness, his being apart from us. And, you know, you can begin to feel, and if you've ever experienced the pathetic consequences of the harsh consequences of habitual sin, and most of us have in one way or another at one time or another, then you can appreciate so much this beautiful promise. The law of the spirit of life has set you free. There, there is captivity. Our sin, uh, in, in, in even those sins that are, that are sins that sound full of pleasure, you know, we, we, we don't say this out loud, but sometimes we feel like, like we're missing out as Christians. Like, I'd, I'd like to just go have pleasure. I'd like to go do that i mean and and the that might not be that bad but it's selfish it's focused on carnality it's focused on man it's it's the yolo kind of stuff the you only live once sort of things it's sometimes it's a it's coveting it's you know i don't i don't i don't want to do anything horrible but i sure would like to have my neighbor's house or i have these aspirations and they're all to accumulate more money and more things or or whatever it is and we're all we're all kind of different in 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 that regard but those things, that way of thinking becomes captivating. We become captive to our sin. Sin is many sins are habitual. They can even be our friend groups, our, our, the places we hang out, the things we do, the people we interface with can become part of that sin. Paul talked at the end of chapter three in Romans about the fact that we not only uh, we not only do those things, we take pleasure in them that do them. I'm sorry, that's at the end of chapter one. And so there's this habitual nature of sin and, and, and it becomes, it captures us, it owns us, it enslaves us. And Paul has spelled that out in the previous part of this letter. And if you've been with me through all these episodes, you know that. But then he, he says here that, that we, this law of the spirit of life has set us free. The notion that Jesus Christ has set us free from our sin is something we should appropriate, we should realize, we should recognize, we should live in every day. That I'm saying this clumsily, and I realize that, and I don't have those pastoral skills that make this sound so silky smooth, but but what a beautiful, beautiful promise this is. Then down in verse 8, and I just read this, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul's already said we're haters of God. There's nothing in us that seeks God. So those of you who who have churches who say we're a seeker church, I I know what you mean. 
And I know you mean good things by that. You mean you're a welcoming church that evangelizes. I get that. But if you were a true seeker church, you wouldn't have anybody in your church because none of us are seekers of God. And scripture makes that very clear. We are, we are haters of God. We're at enmity with God. Now let's go on. Look at verse nine and following through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Isn't the resurrection of Jesus Christ beautiful? Aren't these promises beautiful? Christ in us. Jesus Christ is God's righteousness. Right standing, moral righteousness, conformity to the law. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. How beautiful is that? Now he's going to talk about adoption coming up and I'm just going to read it here and I'll comment uh, here and there. So then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death, the deeds of the body, you will live for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, here we go again, to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is a title that only blood relatives could use of their father. We're talking about adoption, but Paul uses a title that only blood relatives could use. Household servants couldn't use this title to reference the head of the household. There's so much to say, and if you read commentaries on Romans, you'll you'll learn in this section all about the Roman household and how the uh, patriarchy was alive and well. The man ran the household. The kids were accountable to the father for their entire lives, and and it was uh, it, it was a different social structure, really than 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 we have today. But but he says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery. You, you, you he's going back to that that captivity that he talked about earlier, and he and he's going to use this this metaphor, as it were, again and again. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What, what beauty that is. Absolutely a beautiful promise. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And then he's going to turn the corner and talk about future glory next. But just think about this. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. You know what an heir is. An heir, and you're probably thinking of like a rich kid, right? Who is going to inherit his father's and mother's estate. Well, that, that's who we are. And, and we are heirs of God and his estate, his eternal estate. That my mind cannot comprehend that. I don't know how, I want to use a cute little metaphor of some kind to, to help us all focus on what Paul is saying here, but I can't do it because God's estate is eternal. I can't imagine eternality for very, I, I can kind of scratch the surface of it in my mind, but barely. And, and when you think about you know, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills or whatever expression you want to use. It all belongs to him. 
Well, how much of it? Everything, all of it. Well, how do you define it? Well, it's everything. Well, where does it stop? Well, it doesn't. It's eternal. And so is the time frame that is being referenced here. That's eternal also. We are heirs with Christ. I, I, I can't even imagine. It almost sounds disrespectful for me to read those words, although it's not. I know they're in Scripture. Fellow heirs with Christ, God incarnate. The, the person of the Trinity who was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cruel Roman cross, was raised on the third day, ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us and, and conquering sin and death on our behalf. And we are joint heirs with him in God's estate. I don't have words. Uh, that is just beautiful. And so... See, I believe a key in Romans, and, and I talked about this before, but, but I, I think a key to understanding Paul's thinking, and he's such a strategic thinker and writer, I think a key to understanding it is, is knowledge. He talked about knowing in chapter 6. Remember the word we get Gnostic from, G-N-O-S-T-I-C? And not knowing is how he references it, and that would be agnostic, that we don't, we don't know, can't know, and then Paul just drives the point home in Romans 12 too when he, when he says uh, that he references um, be not conformed to this world. I think it's how it goes, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. N- knowledge, this knowledge that Paul is laying out in Romans 8 is a game changer. It changes our minds when we, when we realize why would we live in captivity of sin when we are a joint heir with Jesus Christ in God's estate? My goodness, that should make even us Presbyterians shout. We should have a charismatic moment because that promise is beautiful. That was, that was theology humor that I was going for there, the charismatic moment, but you, you get the idea. Now let's go to verse 18. We're going to read this section pretty quickly. And then, oh my goodness, at the end here, it's chapter 8, it's just beautiful. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, Paul had done some suffering already, and he was about to embark on a trip to Jerusalem. He wrote this letter from Corinth, if you remember, and he's about to embark on Jerusalem, and he, he feels like his life is threatened. He lived under constant threat of apprehension by both the Jewish government, as it were, and the Roman government. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. He's forward-looking. He's talking about future glory. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This world is a dark place. It just is. I, I, how some of you wake up every day with that perky, wonderful outlook on just how wonderful things are is beyond me because this, this world is fallen and the consequences of the fall are significant. But Paul is saying, but just look ahead. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Then he goes on in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So there's a part of this adoption that we're waiting for that involves our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope or or anticipation, joyful anticipation, this expectation he's talking about. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, verse 26, I think it is, yep, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray, what to pray for, 
as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Just think about that. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I I sometimes criticize, you know, Christian self-help books. I mean, frankly, a, a good portion of the stuff that is sold in the Christian book space is garbage. And, and this, this whole, you can find the will of God by doing this, this, and this, and just go through this 10 step process. I, I, you know, maybe some of those things have been helpful to the extent that they quoted scripture, but, but the will of God is, and, and how to, how to understand the will of God is spelled out for us here. He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I've had Charlie Parrish, Pastor Charlie Parrish, on this podcast several times. I'm going to have him many more, God willing, and if he's willing, and he seems to be. And we, we talked about this this verse. This verse, the prosperity gospel gets this wrong. It doesn't say everything will turn out rosy. It says all things, even the bad things, all of them work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now he's going to explain who the called are. He says, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, so God is eternal and in eternity past, he knew those of us who were his, those who were going to put their trust in Christ. I'm going to say this carefully. I don't want to offend. I don't want to get into the whole Calvinism versus Arminianism and all the other isms argument. I just want to read the text the way it's written. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He predetermined that you, if you've trusted in him, that you would be before the foundations of the earth, that you would be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn, he, Jesus Christ, the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. It's this this idea of quickening. And those whom he called, he also justified, that that is declared to be, have right standing before God. He imputed righteousness. He didn't fill you with righteousness. He didn't infuse us with righteousness. He imputed, he credited righteousness to our account because of the person of Jesus Christ. And those whom he justified, those whom he imputed righteousness to, he also glorified. Now the glory of God is is outlined in scripture. It appeared in Solomon's temple. It appeared to Israel it, it again and again. And we're not going to take time to kind of walk through that. But, but this future glory that we're going to experience, Paul is, is just giving us a taste of. And he's speaking, and the, the Greek tense has, there's kind of a strange way of describing it, but he's, but he's talking about both the present and the future as if they're the same. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, Paul, I love these human moments that Paul has in verse 31. Watch this. What then shall we say to these things? <laughs> what does this mean to us? What do we say about this? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, if, if we really understand who God is, who God really is, and we really get the fact that he's for us, if we really understand our adoption, if we really understand this, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and whom he, those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. If we really get that, Paul is saying, who can be against us? How bad could it be? Man, what beautiful perspective. This, this is how we answer the question in the Sermon on the Mount. We, 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 we respond to the imperative in the Sermon on the Mount be, to be not anxious. My goodness, I can get myself so wrapped around my axle, so full of anxiety. I need to come back to these beautiful, beautiful promises in God's word. Verse 32, 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Hmm. Don't misuse that verse. Don't, God is not a cosmic vending machine. That's not what this is about. He's talking about things that are much more important. We can rest in him, is what Paul is saying. He's going to give us glorification. He's going to graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Don't, don't again, get wrapped around your axle over that word elect. He's talking about those who put their trust in Christ. It is God who justifies. It is God who imputes righteousness, is what he's saying. It is God who credits righteousness to our account in the person of Jesus Christ. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You hear that? I don't just make that up when I go through that litany. He's actually, he died, he was raised, and now he intercedes for us. He is our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father. It is Jesus Christ. Then look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So, so how, how, how flimsy is this? You know, is this permanent? Is this fixed? Can we rely on this? And, then, and Paul's asking a rhetorical question. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He's covering it, isn't he? I just love the way Pyle piles on the data here, the detail. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword. He's done this a couple times before in this letter, hasn't he? When he talked about those 14 counts of sin, he could have just said, you're all a bunch of sinners. The end. You're charged with sin. But he kept naming them, didn't he? Yeah, it's just beautiful. This, what will separate us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And listen to this. No, Verse 37, he's going to set the record straight. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. This, it's this exceedingly abundantly idea that Paul uses a lot in his writing. He's such a strategic writer. More than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors because we're special? No. No, 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 no. This is about Jesus Christ through him who loved us. It is because of him. We are in him. It is, it is through him. He is the righteousness of God. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then watch this. This, this, this is the section right here that got me through a couple of the first nights after my cancer diagnosis. It's the section that makes me weep when I read it today. I hope you'll, you'll take me up on my suggestion to read this chapter every day for the next week. Because the last two verses you're going to read are these. For I am sure that neither death nor life. Now that, that covers everything right there, but here goes Paul again. Death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are safe. You are secure. We are, we are safe. We are secure. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come. Go anywhere you want on the timeline. Nor powers, nor height, nor depth. Go 3D. 
not, not nothing, nothing. And, and then, and then in case he hasn't covered it well enough. So he's, so he's talked about, he's talked about life and death. He's talked about authority. He's talked about the timeline. He's talked about the 3d thing, nor height, nor depth. And then he says, just in case we don't get it yet, nor anything else in all creation. <laughs> How beautiful is that? Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our sin, our, our worry, our illness, our, our bank account, our annoying relatives, our neighbor, our business partner, our adversary of any sort, nothing, absolutely nothing, not a bad economy, not a bad government, not, not a court, nothing, absolutely nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I go back to this friend. I hope you will. I hope you will look and investigate who God is. In scripture, don't, I mean, if you, if you need to go sit on a mountain to do this, do it. That's a good way to investigate who God is, but it's incomplete. Go to scripture, read scripture, start with Romans, read the gospel of John. At that point, you might just start then with, after Romans and John, read Matthew all the way through the New Testament and, and you'll see who God is. Read the Psalms, the fifties. 50, 51, 2, 3, right through there as well. Or read all of them, and, and you'll, you'll see who God is. We see who God is. And when we know who God is, and we know that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, we can rest assured I mean, that is, you can have confidence, you can have peace. This is anxiety-reducing. I hope this survey of Romans 8 has been helpful. I was tempted at various points to go down rabbit trails that are beautiful. Those of you who are pastors or theologians, you're probably thinking, wow, how can you just kind of cruise by this thought or that thought? I am trying hard to get through these beautiful truths one chapter at a time in Romans without getting bogged down so that we're not, because of this format, you know, this, this, this podcast format doesn't lend itself to a, the kind of detailed study that a Bible study in person would or, or, or a, a sermon series would. So I'm not looking to substitute the good work of pastors and Bible teachers all over the country, all over the world. Um, I'm just looking to remind us of this beautiful truth. If I, can, if I can just point out some of the highlights that are so incredibly beautiful, and Romans 8 is full of them, and get you interested in reading this book, my goodness, it will change your life. It has changed mine. I am thankful for God's word. I am thankful for Paul and this writing. And I am thankful for this beautiful truth in, in Romans 8. I am thankful that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We don't walk away from these truths with arrogance, do we? This is humbling. It's not because of me. Anything, anything intrinsically, inherently good in me, it, it is because of Jesus Christ. It is because of who he is. He is to get the glory, not me. We walk away from this with this, this notion that Paul's communicating that we've been freed from captivity of sin. We walk away from it being humbled, don't we? I mean, when you recognize who God is and what he's done here and that it's all about him, you, you want to glorify him. He deserves all the glory and praise. And you see that in these words. So I hope this is helpful. I, I cannot wait. I, I hope you'll come back next week. Listen to uh, Relentless Truth uh, next week. Uh, my guest is Sharla Elton. Boy, does this story we're going to tell you that she's going to tell us fit with these beautiful promises in Romans 8, your mind is going to be blown. And I'm going to just ask open-ended questions and let her tell the story. And it, it is going to be special. It is, uh, the story should be on 60 Minutes. It should, should be on the 
front page of the Wall Street Journal. It should be in Christianity Today and every newspaper in the country. The work these people do in this drug addicted community, and they're not all addicted to drugs. I want to be careful. I don't want to characterize the good parents and people and students in this school. I don't want to mischaracterize them. I'm talking about the community writ large. It is an interesting community, but the I got to, I'll tell you this, I, I met Sharla in 2017 and I got to sit in a music class and the music teacher had a couple of the students uh, working on a song and they, they sang and kind of went through everything they were working on and it was just beautiful. And then we went to the art class and then, then we went down and looked at the gym and then we saw the area where they, they served three meals a day in this school and because they, the young people, um, need it and the school can provide it. Uh, the dedication of the board, I got to see that. You're just, you're in for a treat. And and I, I, I would say this, I've had all kinds of very interesting people on this podcast and I'm grateful for friendships with all of them. But none of the stories uh, compare to this one. Uh, this this one is, uh, I hope you'll share it with friends and, and uh, hope you'll circulate it uh, widely. Hope this has been a blessing through Romans 8. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. Go to johnwarrenmedia.com if you'd like to know more about our work. My work with my company, CFS Financial, is really interesting right now in this economy. I work with uh, nonprofits, uh, primarily Christian schools and churches all over the country, and the, the struggles are really just beginning in this very challenging economy. So I hope you'll take a look at that. Uh, feel free to send your comments along on the contact form or email me at john at johnwarrenmedia.com. You're a blessing. Your notes are an encouragement. Your comments on social media are so encouraging. Thank you for your support, and I look forward to being with you again next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren. Thank you.